brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Here we go, Higher Side Chatters, back in the saddle and ready to ride, as the world still struggles to regain its senses from a fear-based compliance campaign like we've never seen. And just like the plot of some warped Twilight Zone episode, the magic shot that seems to put the public at ease is the thing that should actually make them trepidatious. But what are you going to do when society has been carefully molded for compliance by behaviorists, think tanks, privileged elite, and maybe even something off-planet for thousands of years, some say since the very beginning? And with such a long history of deception, wealth consolidation, violence, dishonesty, betrayal, and secret-keeping, the fact that we still look up to the capstone cabal for guidance and solutions is even more mind-boggling. But who's really sitting in the seat of control? How ancient is this power, and how many cycles of civilization have they ruled over? Well, these are just some of the deep and gnawing questions that are answered in the work of today's guest, Dean Henderson. If you don't know Dean's work, you are missing out, as he is the author of titles like Big Oil and Their Bankers in the Persian Gulf, Four Horsemen, Eight Families, and Their Global Intelligence, Narcotics, and Terror Network, The Federal Reserve Cartel, Illuminati Agenda 21, The Luciferian Plan to Destroy Creation, and most recently, Nephilim Crown 5G Apocalypse. Dean practices what he preaches, staying out of the technocratic smart cities of the nefarious elite and living the good life off the radar where the rivers run clear, the water tastes sweet, and the air is clean. Along with his wife, they operate and live on a small organic vegetable farm, burn wood for heat, and gather wild berries, mushrooms, fruits, and nuts. They don't work slave wage jobs and buy very little living a simple and rich life. A man who knows his history and, unfortunately, has a pretty clear picture of humanity's dark future. He walks the walk and he calls it like he sees it. The fighter of fascism, the rejecter of crown control, and a thorn in the side of the Nephilim overlords, Dean Henderson. Honor and a pleasure. Welcome to the higher side. Thanks, Greg, for the kind introduction and thanks for the invite. (laughs) Yes, of course. I have been very excited to have you here. Big thanks to Charlie Robinson, who helped put us in touch. I reached out to him after I heard the interview you guys did, and I'm very thankful that we're here now. I enjoyed your latest book, Nephilim Crown 5G Apocalypse, quite a bit, 
and I am really impressed by the case you make for who the elite really are. I've had all sorts of guests make all sorts of claims, but I agree with the assessment that the control structure seems ancient, almost like it's a permanent fixture of life on Earth, and they seem to be motivated by something deeper than just greed and power. It seems like they're driven by some dark spiritual motivation, really. And let's start there. Maybe you can map this out a bit for people and explain this term, Nephilim crown. How do you see the power pyramid being structured? Sure. Well, there's a lot of uh, theories on this. And that, I think, is what people forgot that evolutionary theory was a theory or they forgot that germ theory was just a theory or they forgot that particle physics theory was just a theory. And then, you know, when you start researching it, you find out that, you know, oh, yeah, it was the Nephilim crown itself through the royal societies that pretty much came up with all these theories. So all I know is the oldest written language that we have available to study from a scientific standpoint are the tablets in ancient Samaria or Mesopotamia. As far as we know, it's about 8,200 years we're talking about ago. And people started translating these things. Of course, Zechariah Sitchin is the most famous, but there are many people who've translated these things, cuneiform language. And at first they thought, well, it's just a metaphor because it seems like, you know, I don't know, when black and brown people, poor people come up with things, you know, like Indians, they always have legends, you know, it's, there's, there's no way that could be a fact, right? But it's not the Royal Society, it's not the Crown, it's not, you know, rich aristocrats. So they treated it that way for a while. And then along came people who said, wait a minute, let's take this literally, take a look at it. And what it really says is that these Anunnaki beings came from planet Nibiru and probably landed on the Sinai Peninsula, the Sinai means shining, and basically forced the people of Samaria into agriculture, is what the tablets say, and set up Babylonia in that region as well. And this is all at the Tigris and Euphrates estuary, where they meet and run into the Persian Gulf. And so Basra, and interestingly, British Petroleum got the kind of Basra, you know, this area is still being sort of controlled by the UK intelligence services, which do serve the crown, of course. Interesting also that during the war, the first place U.S. troops went was to the museum in Baghdad to loot all the relics, most of which have to do with this story that's being told on these tablets. And those ended up, we don't know where, but museums, places that are controlled again by the Nephilim crown. So what these also say in these tablets, they talk about, you know, Enlil and Enki. These were the sons of Anu. And there's also in Israel, there's a, they're called them the Anukim or the Anukites. Some people think the Hittites are the same. Definitely it's synonymous in my mind with the Nephilim, which is mentioned in the very first paragraph of the Bible, New Testament. And how the daughters of earth, the sons of the Nephilim came to the earth to meet with the daughters of men. And this, again, indicates some kind of outer space thing where beings are coming in. And that's in the Christian Bible, first paragraph, right? You have the Muslims, they have a word called jinn that describes these people. The Canaanites were part of this. The tribe of Dan was part of this. In Egypt, they call them the Archons, the Gnostics. 
in Apache territory in the U.S. here, they call them the Wetikos. And in Cree, Mastasini Cree areas of Canada and the U.S., they call them Wendigos. And where I'm at here in the Black Hills of South Dakota, the Lakota people call them Witkos. And it all kind of means the same thing. It's these kind of outsiders that came here and, you know, colonized us at some point or another. So it's interesting also that you have two creation stories in the Bible, one in the Garden of Eden story, which seems to chronicle this intervention because, you know, Eve being tempted by a serpent and basically in the Garden of Eden took a bite out of the tree of, out of the apple growing from the tree of knowledge, according to Kabbalists. So it indicates to me a point where the Luciferian or the Nephilim way, which is anti-creation, anti-creator, thinks it's smarter than creation. This is the essence of Luciferianism, which is rampant in the world nowadays, even if people don't know they are it. But it's called science, they call it now. Mm. And the hell of it is, it's not science. It's derived from the seven sacred sciences, which the Nephilim passed down to the rulers who are related to them. And... Now they administer these seven sacred sciences through the royal societies. That's arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, rhetoric, music, logic. What's the seventh one? Uh, anyway, there's three of them that have to do with like written language and speech. and Maybe semantics? Yeah, it's not it, but it's escaping me right now. But it's it, anyway, there's seven of these, and they're, they're basically taught to deceive people using these methods using rhetoric, using logic, using math, using music, using lies about astronomy. And it's all lies. That's the thing. And they all come out of the Royal Astronomy or the National Geographic, the Royal Society, Royal Geographic Society, or the Chatham House or the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And these are all entities that are in this one square mile city of London nowadays that really the, the dragons have ended up, this is their lair, you know, you can look at it that way. But on the way, the Babylonians, who were Nephilim hybrids, they bred humans to mine gold, according to the tablets, to take back and patch up their planet. So a few thousand years later, we start finding the mines in South Africa. Michael Tellinger is probably the expert on all these cattle corral looking things down there that he thinks are energy vortexes that, you know, maybe they were taking the gold back up to Nibiru because apparently their ozone had depleted and they needed gold flecking to patch it, which even today NASA scientists have been quoted saying that that's how you do it. Maybe they've even done it here because I haven't heard about our ozone problem lately. Maybe they fixed it with gold flecking. But anyway, <laughs> so all these things. And, and the Garden of Eden story, I think, is talking about this DNA transformation at some level, or this assimilation anyway into this Luciferian cult, sort of giving up our garden of Eden, giving up our hunting and gathering existence, which is way easier, you know, and way more chill, and being kind of pushed into agriculture to feed the cities like Ur and Babylon, and that were controlled now by the Nephilim. And then within these cities, they built up religion and spirituality and all these concepts that didn't exist before that. Before that, it was just animistic kind of way of looking at things. You know, you could talk to the animals, you could talk to your ancestors. No necromancy, please, you know, because then you're just talking to strange dead people. And that's what the Templars and the weirdos do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, at any rate, we can do a lot of things. And then another branch went into Egypt 
and started these Egyptian mystery schools, which is where Freemasonry, Muslim Brotherhood, and came out of the Grand Lodge of Cairo. And this was the point when these Nephilim decided they were going to hide knowledge of who we were from ourselves, from people. Like, that we're going to not tell them who they are. We're going to not let them know about these powers they have because they, they could use them to take us down. And so pretty much immediately, all these organizations were crown agents, you could call them. Nephilim crown agents. At that time, they were known as the pharaohs. Okay, but there's direct, you know, like Enki and Enlil will have similar figures in Egypt, you know, with Ra and with Seth. And so it's all the same story about, you know, these Nephilim controlling humans, and in that case, enslaving them to build these pyramids to what? To the sky, to the sky gods. You know, we never used to think like there were sky gods. I mean, indigenous people were just like, no, we're just probably crawl up out of the earth or we live on the back of this turtle called North America, you know, that came out of the ocean. And they don't have any creation myths that say they came from the sky. They know about the star people and they know about things. I mean, the Cato, the Algonquin, and the Ute, all three of them have stories that mirror the Book of Enoch where we're told these giants were ruling the earth before the Great Flood and had started eating people. And the exact same story from the Indian tribes about this. And in one case, coyote comes, like for the Ute, the coyote comes and eats all the giants, you know. In another case, Guglamesh comes in the Algonquin myth where he basically represents first man. And he had to slay the giants, you know, and stuff like this. And uh, the Cato talk about the giants. And, yeah, they were eating people. And that's what the book of Enoch says. That was Noah's grandfather. You know, Enoch in that book, of course, left uh, the Bible. The Council of Nicosia 300 AD pretty much finished the integrity of the, you know, the original Bible or the original Christianity even, because that was when the Babylonians co-opted the Catholic Church in about 300 AD. But before that, Peter went into Turkey and, you know, did become the first bishop of the Church of St. Peter and uh, at Antioch. And that was who Christ said should be, you know, the leader of the church. And then he went into Rome, became the Pope, and then you know, long after he was gone is when it was co-opted. But anyway, these people, yeah, about that, they moved across the Mediterranean, is what I think, into the Holy Roman Empire. I think they burned the Library of Alexandria behind them to kind of hide the evidence of the atrocities, but also of the bloodlines, because they guard this bloodline secret. That's their biggest secret. David Ike wrote a book one time called Big Secret, and that's what the book's about. That really is true. That's their biggest secret. They don't want us to know that they are different species even. So they established the Holy Roman Empire and, you know, battled with Constantinople for a lot of years. The other branch from Babylonia went up through the Caucasus and sort of intermarried with the Ashkenazi Jewish people in the Caucasus in what is now modern-day Georgia. And that's where the Rothschilds come out of and, and some of these banking families that intermarried with the bloodline, with the crown, and, and actually became now the bloodline. Ralph Chauser intermarried to the Algobrandinis, who were, you know, the princes of the Holy Roman Empire, and just a lot of powerful families just intermarry. So people say, how many bloodlines are there now? Well, you know, really, maybe it's just one, you know, honestly, <laughs> because they've all interbred to that point. But there was a split in Rome, and this is important, about the 12th century. So Jacques de Molay was burned as a heretic, Knights Templar leader. To this day, there's a Demolay Society in the United States for the children of Freemasons, you know, so they honor the guy. But they said he was a devil worshiper, and Pope Clementine and um, 
got together with King Philip of France and they ended up hunting down the Templars. But he was the leader of the Templars. And the Templars, you have to understand, were the first navy in the world. And they were a navy of the Nephilim crown. And you also have to understand that the Templars were the first bankers in the world. And they were also bankers of the Nephilim crown. And they established like the bond market, the credit card market. A lot of these things that we, that's where they came from, was the Templars would take these pilgrims from Europe into the Middle East during the Crusades. And while they were there, they stole and looted and a lot of the relics in the region and brought them back to the castles of Europe. And they also looted the entire world as far as the indigenous people went. You have to remember Columbus was funded by the Spanish crown, you know, the Bourbon family, which is one of the 13 powerful bloodlines. All those guys, Vasco da Gama, Cortez, you name it, and the same with Asia, the same with Australia, the same with Africa. So they looted the entire wealth of the world and took it back to the castles of Europe. And, and that's really what the wealth that created all those big castles is, is literally built on, is just the looting of the whole world. So anyway, there was a split, and they burned the guy at the stake, Jacques de Malay. They, the Templars had to flee Rome. They took their gold to Scotland for the most part, some to Nova Scotia, now it looks like, New Scotland. And they physically went to Venice, most of the families, and began the Venetian banking empire with the De Medici's, the Lombards. Yeah, the Bards, you know, Queen Elizabeth is actually a Bard. That's her background, so she's actually Venetian, along with being, you know, Saxe-Coburg-Gotha, you know, which is the German part. But yeah, from Venice, they established kind of the idea of fascism. That's where the idea came from, was the Tuscan region of Italy. And it really means to bind families together, bloodlines together, and protect each other's interests. And then at the top of the fasci, there's a hatchet or an axe, and that indicates the Templar enforcement arm, the army that will protect these people. But they sort of made an agreement called fascism, which Mussolini later described as the merger of the corporation and the state. And that's true, you know, too. But he also knew damn well it meant bloodlines because the Savoy family another of the powerful bloodlines in Italy and the former royalty of Italy until not so long ago funded Mussolini, just like the British crown and the Dutch crown funded Hitler. And he was, went to that Tavistock Institute for training at some point, which is another part of the Royal Society, City of London complex, crown complex, we call it. So uh, Tavistock deals with behavior modification, you know, which you're talking about earlier. And that's where most of our music and most of our Pop culture comes from basically is the Tavistock Institute because it's all brainwashing. If you have off the top what a 500 book or whatever, you're a tool. You're they want to promote your message, your stupid message, and so you'll be made famous. Same in music world or the same in any art world or you know anything. They promote the stupid ideas or the ideas that help them, which are always just retrograde. But anyway. So yeah, there was a split. They went to Venice. They established fascism. They funded the a Protestant Reformation against the Catholic Church at this point because Martin Luther was getting funding from the Venetians. The Enlightenment was also funded by the Venetian bankers. And it wasn't an Enlightenment. It was more like a second dark ages, I guess you'd say. Or maybe even worse, because now they're hiding behind science to say what the church would just blurt out and say is true without any evidence. Now they're telling us they knew all the evidence and they just lied to us and they called the Enlightenment. So that's where you get Galileo and Einstein and 
mean, a lot of these people who've been proven wrong, Newton, on things actually in the end. So with subatomic physics and the things that we know now. But they did that really because the Catholic, one of the dogmas of the Catholic Church is you have to do good acts to get to heaven. So for all their faults, you know, history of the Catholic Church, that that one thing motivated the Venetians to fund the Protestant Reformation. And now you've taken that to the extreme with these evangelical movements and sects that actually, who are all, I think, intelligence-funded, who are basically, I, you know, Jesus is my Savior. I could drive a pink Cadillac because I deserve it and live in a mansion because I deserve it. And I mean, almost like a Luciferian interpretation, I'd have to say, of Christianity, of Christ consciousness, you know. <laughs> so, and, you know, they don't have to do any good acts at all. You know, no acts, no no good acts here. So that's interesting. And then from Venice, these families kind of got up into Middle Europe. And at, at some point, 11th, 12th century, again, there was this kind of convergence in the Norman region of well, it's the Castilian region of Spain and, and the southern region of France, the Pyrenees. And the families were interbreeding a bunch at this time, the, the Normans and the Rallas and the Franks. The Rallas are the Viking bloodline. The Franks, Charlemagne was a king of the Franks and a king of the Lombards before he was ever emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, actually. And from the Charlemagne bloodline, every U.S. president except Reagan has descended. It's also now known as the Plantagenet bloodline, same bloodline. The crown in England's from this bloodline. The House of Orange Nassa that rules over the Netherlands is in this bloodline. And a lot of the royalty are. So again, it's just how many bloodlines? Well, you know, maybe there's just one really at this point. But so they started the Hanseatic League. Then they started the Dutch East India Company. Then they started the Bank of Amsterdam, which was the first private central bank in the world. And of course, they owned it. About this time, too, they were signing the Magna Carta. So you had the gold in Scotland that was smuggled out, being brought down into the city of London with help from the Sinclair family, which kind of started modern Freemasonry at that point. And they signed the Magna Carta, which supposedly was an agreement which cut into the power of the crown and handed it over to the aristocracy. But it's it really is it's a way it's reported. But it, really what it was was a, an expansion of the fascism where they brought in other bloodlines that could serve their interests and they kind of worked together more than anything else. They signed the agreement, the Magna Carta agreement on Lombardy Street in the city of London after the Lombard family. And to this day, yeah, so it's, uh, and that was William III, also a descendant of Charlemagne and that invited him into London and set him up. And ever since then, it's been this separate entity within the UK, within London, and, you know, it's in the United Kingdom. So the first tip is United Kingdom. You know, why do they call England the United Kingdom? And that's because they decided this is a really safe place with rocky shoreline from opposing navies. They set up the city of London to be this offshore sovereign entity where it would basically be out of reach of democracy, quite simply. They did the same with, you know, in Switzerland, where they keep the money is the Bank of International Settlements. And that's the central bank for central bankers. So the Fed, the Bank of England, all these banks are members of that. And they did smuggle a lot of the Nazi gold to Germany after member two. So Germany's definitely not into Germany, but into Switzerland. So Switzerland 
there's a huge wealth repository for the crown. And that's why they have the secrecy laws. And that's why they're not part of the euro. You'll notice the Swiss franc is not part of the euro, which is interesting. And then also Liechtenstein, Andorra, all these little Monaco, all these little play, all the family pretty much runs Monaco. You know, that's a bloodline family. And that's where, the, you know, they party in Monaco, like it's, you know, whatever. And, and all these families sort of have their role, like Queen Elizabeth, if you look at the coat of arms, it has a harp on it. And she actually is said to be in charge of the harp program, which is kind of a Tavistock, Lockheed Martin thing. And it's all about, yeah, mind control, mostly. So they all have their little jobs, like the Habsburg family. They run the drugs up through Mexico, which is what this border thing's all about. It's not about people at all. It's about diversions and lots of drugs coming in for the Habsburgs. And they've run that ever since Mexico has been around. Emperor Maximilian was a Habsburg. He was the guy who ran Mexico during the Civil War and thought about trying to invade the United States on behalf of the Rothschild cartel, which was backing the South to try to shred this country in little bits and pieces. So they all have their little jobs, these families. But anyway, so this city of London is really what we have to deal with. And within the city, again, you have all these Tavistock, Chatham House, Royal Institute of International Affairs, the BBC, which is their official propaganda outlet for the Nephilim crown. They're all in the city of London. The Bank of England's there. The Bank of England issues all the warrants and all the account numbers for offshore banking, whether it's Cayman Islands or Isle of Man or Vanuatu, Panama, whatever it is, they administer all those offshore accounts. And it's the only place where derivatives are traded in the world is the city of London. So mm-hmm. derivatives are everything right now. It's, you know, they're worth way more than the real economy, just the bets, you know. Anyway, um, it's opaque. It's totally deregulated. You can't know where the money's really coming from or going. And so that's the beauty of it for the crown. So this is where the secret societies come in and do all the drug smuggling in Afghanistan. You know, already mentioned Mexico being the Habsburgs job in Afghanistan. It's the Shah family, which is, uh, you know, the first thing they did after we invaded Afghanistan was we did the Loya Jirga, which reinstated the Shah bloodline family as kings of Afghanistan. And they literally are running the drug trade with a little bit of help from the U.S. and some from the Taliban, sure, corrupt elements of it, I'm sure, too. Colombia, you have the oil companies, big operations there, and they're involved with making the chemicals that even you know process cocaine, some kind of ethyl... Uh, I can't remember. There's another fancy name for it, but anyway, they're exclusively like Chevron. Ethanol? <laughs> Ethyl alcohol of some kind. But so, you know, it's all official. In other words, all this goes into the city of London. The casinos are the same. Or you see a casino, you know, there's drug trafficking, you know, there's human trafficking. It's just the way it is. It's a cash business. Racetrack, same way, which is why all the racetracks in America are owned by like the Jacobs family or the Fisher family. These are like, you know, Zionist lieutenants for the Bronfman's. And for the Rockefellers and the Meyer Lansky gang. So it's all connected, but the city is the place where it's happening. And when we launched the Euro dollar in the 60s, this really gave a jolt to the city of London as if it didn't have enough power already. And a Euro dollar is just a US dollar that's traded anywhere outside of the United States. So before Reagan came into office, corporations, for example, weren't allowed to 
take dollars out of the United States unless they were using them to buy product or to sell product, you know. And that changed with Paul Volcker in 1973, and that's a year after Nixon took us off the gold standard. And Volcker went to the Nigerians and the Kuwaitis and said, look, you got the best oil in the world, the Bonnie Light and the Kuwaiti Light, and we'll make it the benchmark crude and give you a couple bucks premium for it if you agree to only pay for the product in U.S. dollars. So this started this flood of dollars post gold standard, and we have instantly the next, you know, within a year, we have the petroleum standard set up and the dollars are just flying. And this is when everything, all the smuggling and all that stuff just flourished because you got dollars just flying around and nobody knows where they're coming from, where they're going. But reportedly, there's hundreds of trillions of dollars literally in these offshore accounts. And I think this is where the crown hides most of its money because they have Coots Bank in the U.S., you know, and that's the cover for the British Crown. But it's nothing to what they really have. And you can't really know who owns these accounts. The Bank of England is the only one that knows. They have numbered accounts. And this is where the blind trusts of the Bush family and you know, all these things come into play because that's all offshore banking, right? And that theirs is in Panama. So, yeah, we believe foolish stories like, you know, Bill Gates is the richest guy in the world or whatever. And it's just foolish because the Rothschilds have a hundred trillion dollars. That's just the way, you know, and there's probably families that have more mm-hmm. like the Habsburgs and the Bourbons and the Lee family in China is an important Illuminati family. The Khan family is an important family uh, based in Pakistan, India, but increasingly living in the South of France, running racehorses. They fund the Aga Khan foundation jihadists come out of because that whole thing whether it's mujahideen al-qaeda isis al-shabaab boko haram whatever it is wherever you see muslim extremists it's british intelligence and it usually goes along with oil company expansion like what they're doing right now in mozambique is a good example they're trying to put this big natural gas plant in mozambique so what do you need you need some crazy isis people to show up and run people out of villages and steal their land from them and give it over to the big oil companies. Sure, works. And they're doing the same in Nigeria with Boko Haram. And they're doing the same in Somalia with Al-Qaeda on the Arabian Peninsula or whatever. So that's what they do. And that Aga Khan Foundation, the Khan family, K-H-A-N, funds all that. And that's the Genghis Khan bloodline. So, you know, that was the Genghis Khan was a Nephilim enforcer. Then you have the Yamamoto family in Japan, very powerful. This is the emperors. Anytime you see emperor, king, sultan, sheikh, any title, anytime you see a title, you know it's the Nephilim. You know it's the bloodlines. And what I understand is there's the 13 bloodlines, and those are a few of them. The Rothschilds is another one. You have the Plantagenets is another one. You have the Rallas. You have the Vichys. You have the Merovingians, which, you know, they're the ones that claim they're descended from Jesus Christ himself, according to Dan Brown, which I think is a total lie. But anyway, these families said the top, and then what I understand is a council of 33, and then there's a committee of 300, which John Coleman, you know, wrote the book about. I actually have a membership list of the committee of 300, the most current one I have anyway, and it's all royals. You have to be royal bloodline to be in any of those top three levels of the kind of pyramid 
And they really are the crown. So none of those, see, there's 33 vertebrae in the human body. And that's why the Freemasons, you know, when you get to be a 33 degree Freemason, you might become illuminated or become an Illuminati. And then you become the head. And the Illuminati is supposed to be the head. You know, they're the managerial class for the bloodlines. So they don't have to work physically, but they actually do have to think and plan and move pieces around. And then if you think about it, the head is the Illuminati. So then what's on top of the head? Well, the crown. And see, the crown doesn't have to do anything at all. They just spend their days going to the racetrack, you know, whatever it is, fox hunting, I don't know, some kind of weird, you know, whatever they do, you know, <laughs> drinking whiskey at 9 a.m. And yeah, eating babies, I guess we hear so. Maybe. So they don't do anything. So they're the crown. So below that, as I understand it, is the Praia Zion and the Rosicrucians or the Red Cross. Because, again, it's a lot of bloodline secrets. So you have the bloodline at the top. And they're protected by these, by the Priory and by the Rosicrucians. And Red Cross, to me, I think symbolizes the cross of the Nephilim blood with the human blood. Mm. You know, that's what the cross is all about. And in the Priory of Zion, people think of Zionism, they don't think of this, but I think actually Zion is a transliteration of Sion, S-C-I-O-N, which means to graft. So again, I think Zionism is actually the project to graft Nephilim genes into humanity or whichever way that works, you know? Wow. And yeah, right. So that's crazy. So that changes everything you thought you knew about Zionism, right? So it's nothing about Israel. It's nothing about Israel. It's just a strategic location where the crown picked in the Middle East. And the reason that they picked it is if you look at a map of Asia, it's the very center going from, say, Copenhagen to Singapore and then from Vladivostok to Windhoek, Namibia or whatever. I mean, that's right in the middle, Israel. And so it's always been a historically a trade and really important trade route, really important for smuggling, really important, you know, just because of its, you know, it's the middle of the landmass, the biggest landmass in the world. So that's really all Israel is. But and then they they like to sort of give them a black eye a lot, like when things get dicey. They'll just throw it on the Jews, blame the Jews, encourage us to blame the Jews, right? And then when we get a little more sophisticated, we might blame the Rothschilds, who founded Israel, as we know, with the Balfour Declaration and everything. They also founded Saudi Arabia, by the way, with the Treaty of Jeddah, uh, the Crown did. So same difference to me. It's like, you know, the Saudis do their job in the Middle East in the same way the Israelis do their job. And they're all part of the Crown, yeah. But it's all the Crown. And operating from the city of London behind it, actually. And that's why it was British Palestine, you know, before the Balfour Declaration. Anyway, so, yeah, you have the Priory, you have the Red Cross protecting the bloodlines. Then below that, you have kind of the royal societies, which meet out the propaganda of the seven sacred sciences to the masses, you know, and tell us germ theory. I mean, you look at germ theory right now and how a lot of the minions for the elite you know, who don't know that this is a massive depopulation kill program, just think it's the best thing since sleigh spread. And it's because they've gone down this dark cul-de-sac of germ theory. And it's dangerous because we're out of control at this point. We don't, those people don't know what they're doing anymore. They don't know what they're doing. They're creating, they're now creating new variants of this common cold by creating vaccines against it. And again, at the top, they know that it's all part of a continuous kill program 
meant to get this down to, well, Deagle report says 89 million by 2025 from 327 mm-hmm. in the U.S. That's a lot. But the minions don't know that. And this is where the Royal Society thing comes in. You have to inculcate people with these dogmas about science that are all wrong. <laughs> if you want to really have a crazy society of order and chaos and order out of chaos. And, you know, and so, yes, yeah, so you have all these Royal Societies then administering that. Below that, you kind of have the Illuminati, which runs, you know, the Tavistock kind of controls them and they do the information and the cultural garbage. And then you have the Freemasons, which are kind of a military political wing in the West, which kind of rig elections and kind of handle military affairs. And the Muslim Brotherhood kind of does that in Saudi Arabia. And the Kabbalists do that in Israel. And then you have the intelligence agencies and the banks, starting with the private central banks. That's what I guess kind of dawned on me just a few years ago was, you know, I wrote the book Federal Reserve Cartel. And then it dawned on me, wait a minute, these are just the bankers. These are just the people doing in charge of banking you know, like the Warburgs. I mean, they're not even really that powerful in this bigger pyramid. You start realizing and it's like, whoa. <laughs> so, but you know, cause these guys just stay out of, they don't, they're not in the news. Although if you look at Prince Charles in like 2016, 17, he was really pushing this vaccination thing. And now he's back kind of in the shadows, but you know, people forget that. People forget that he's the one that came out six months ago at the World Economic Forum and talked about this great reset, you know, and that, of course, the World Economic Forum is a creation of the crown, just like Bilderbergers, just like Trilateral Commission, just like Council on Foreign Relations, which is actually a subsidiary of the Royal Institute for International Affairs in Chatham House, City of London. So they also have, you know, an Australian Council on Foreign Relations and a French Council on Foreign Relations and on and on. So they run our foreign policy, obviously, through that. The, the crown runs our foreign policy through that, through the CFR. But yeah, the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab founded it in 1971. He'd just gone to Harvard. He'd just met with Henry Kissinger, came buddies with him. And, of course, Kissinger is a longtime lieutenant for the Rockefellers. He started that. And I heard the other day from uh, Michael McKibben and Doug Gabriel, they did really good research at Aim for Truth. And they said that Klaus Schwab, they believe, has been given the spirit of destiny by Otto von Habsburg. The spirit of destiny was what was used to kill Jesus, you know, and pretty telling that these bloodline families would keep this as kind of a relic, you know, in their house. <laughs> yeah. And they get the cover stories that they descended from Jesus. But the truth is they actually killed Jesus. You know, these were the people that killed Jesus, the Roman emperors, obviously. So anyway, these guys said he's got the spirit of destiny. Schwab does which is interesting because they gave it to Hitler during the Third Reich. And I think this is the Fourth Reich. And I think it's becoming increasingly clear that this isn't just the Fourth Industrial Revolution. This is the Fourth Reich. Wow. Yeah. And this is where fascism international kicks in. They've taken it global now. Yes. And they're not just targeting Jews and they're not just targeting Germany and Italy and whatever and Europe. They're targeting humanity now. Yes. And uh, I hesitate to interrupt you because this is all so amazing. And that's a hell of a crash course in the Nephilim crown complex and really the secret history of the power pyramid. There's another thing you talk about with language that I wanted to just try to fit into this first hour because there's some good examples of it. 
You drop real insights on this aspect of wordplay that the elite use. And at one point, you mentioned in the book that it's no surprise the geoengineering campaign is spraying barium and aluminum because their symbols are B-A and A-L or ball. And you say CERN was the name of one of the fallen angels. And now the modern day CERN is being used to open portals to an archon dimension that all Google search engine users are being unwittedly exposed to via Google's qubit quantum computer. And you also say this is why discernment is so important. It will be the key to coming out of this Nephilim-controlled digital insane asylum, as you call it. And we can add coronavirus to the stack, as corona means crown. But man, this sort of wordplay is hidden in plain sight all throughout this big story, isn't it? Yeah, you learn that etymology is really important, you know, to understand the meaning of words, and that how these people really do play. Oh, there you go. That's the other sacred science, grammar. Mm. <laughs> Rhetoric grammar, that was the one I couldn't remember. So we're just, now we're just talking about it again, grammar and etymology and how words are put together. Full circle. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And that's how they fool people with words and and of course, it's all British maritime law, everything to them. So it's all contractual and it's all, you know, if you think about AI and you think about the Anunnaki or sort of the, the lizard brain, you know, it's the same. It's this cold, steely mathematics only, no room for justice in the equation, you know, and it's just, I don't really even draw a distinction anymore between AI and aliens or AI and the devil, go ahead, or Lucifer or because it's all just artificial and the war is on creation. The war from the minute that the bite got taken out of that apple, the war has been, they've pitted man against creation and the ones that really destroy it, they get promoted. <laughs> and the ones that don't are not. So yeah, interesting that Circo provides technical support for that CERN accelerator you're talking about. Circo is just a company that everyone should check into because what's going on after the euro dollar took off and then Bush and Clinton kind of came through and, though, you know, Clinton was a Rhodes Scholar, which, you know, you have to understand Cambridge and Oxford are the colleges of the crown. That's why they did the AstraZeneca trials with Oxford because AstraZeneca is the British and Swedish crown together. The Wallenberg family has the biggest interest in AstraZeneca. And they are close to the Glucksbergs, who are the crown, you know, of Sweden. And they did it at Oxford. And so that, I think, is an outlier vaccination that is actually causing more variants and more problems. Because the tests, when they first did the AstraZeneca trials, where did they do them? They did them in Kent, England. They did them in South Africa. And they did them in Brazil. And that's exact location of where these three variants first came from. You know, now there's going to be more because they're vaccinating more people and they're going to get more variants. That's just, I don't know how stupid you got to be not to understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, like viruses just, what do they do? They mutate, they adapt. So you're intentionally, it looks like to me, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, sort of the supercharged one of the bunch, you're creating this total just annihilation of humans. And 
GSK is also part of the Crown GlaxoSmithKline. That comes out of the old Smith Beecham Company and the old GlaxoSmith Wellcome. And the Wellcome Trust is basically the nonprofit part of GSK Pharmaceuticals. And so they're also a Crown charity. And of course, they're the ones that have funded Event 201 and funded the Wuhan Laboratory in China. And then the Perbright Institute is another one of these Crown Foundations. And again, they've funded the Wuhan thing. But Serco is a Crown agent corporation. The Queen owns Golden Share. They're like the biggest contractor the world has probably ever seen. And you don't even hear about them. If you're really watching, you'd have seen Julian Assange taken away in a Serco van. The van was Mark Serco. So they obviously have okay. a contract with the UK police, but... It was really when this Five Eyes Alliance took off that Serco took off. And so they have all these security contracts on like UK, Canadian, Australia, New Zealand forces, like Army, Navy, Air Force, you name it. And again, this is directly controlled by the Crown. So you have the Crown spying on all the militaries in the world, all the Western militaries anyway. They also run the monarchies in the Middle East, the GCC monarchies, they run all the air traffic control in that region. And they control Iraq's civil aviation authority now. And that makes running drugs and stuff a lot easier, running arms, running oil, human smuggling, you know, when you control the air traffic control. And they own hospitals. They do Homeland Security contracts. They run the UK physics labs. They train soldiers in Germany, provide IT support for European Parliament, train U.S. firefighters in Afghanistan operate European meteorological satellites, the vaccination records, criminal records, driver's license records, DNA databases, military records, communications. And then they run our patent office under the Department of Commerce, which is where all the 5G patents go through. And it was Richard Walker of Hewlett Packard who filed the first one in the 90s, but that's all been sort of funneled through the Stanford Research Institute, which has always been a military thing. They funneled it through there. That's where Google was founded. And then they moved it all up to Silicon Valley with help from the IBM Eclipse Foundation and Lockheed Martin, which is also, by the way, a crown agent. Lockheed Martin, British Aerospace as well, two biggest defense contractors. Circle is run by two British Knights Hospitale. Sir Roy Gardner is the chairman, and Sir Rupert Soames is Winston Churchill's grandson. He's the CEO. And he was awarded the Order of the British Empire in 2010, which, of course, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Funny how that is. You know, like Bill Gates is a commander of the British Empire as well. And I just thought that didn't exist anymore. Right. You said he was knighted in uh, 2005, I believe it was, and that Fauci and Elon Musk are both parts of the Royal Society. And it's like, well, why would Bill Gates be knighted? Why would someone like Bono be knighted? They're doing the work of the crown. It's pretty yeah. clear. It sucks. I used to be a huge U2 fan, but you're right. And no, I'm not. And yeah, no, it's pretty clear. And that's just like what you got to do. And that's why they, they knight Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger carried out the crown's music agenda, right? I mean, that really was satanic music. I mean, I'm a huge rock and roller, but I hate the fucking Rolling Stones because it's satanic. It just is. I don't do the satanic music. <laughs> you know, I'll listen to the Who all day long, man. Yeah. You know? Because there were some lippy working class boys, and they're not going to get knighted. Give me a break. You know, uh, <laughs> the Clash is not going to get knighted. But, yeah, they'll knight those guys. 
Yeah, so that's a, it's all about yeah patronage, promotion of corruption, corrupt people, corrupt ideas, and yeah, with the Bush and Clinton, they they liberalized the city even more, gave them more access to us. People have to understand that part of this privatization process that's happened since Reagan, which nobody in the all media seems to want to talk about because a lot of them are right wingers. I'm not. The whole thing started with Reagan, and when you start privatizing things, here comes the contractors to the point where now our military just yeah just hire blackrock or blackwater they'll do it yeah and i've heard you equate this to it's the same old game because we used to have like the east india company and all these trading companies doing work for the crown they love to privatize that's right that's what they do privatize privatizing and british mercantilism is really the right term for it but it's just this crude form of capitalism that just doesn't want to pay taxes or be regulated or, you know, support anything good or just be sovereign and just kind of. And unfortunately, yeah, they've got a lot of people, you know, into it. But, you know, like Prince Philip himself, he said he wants to you know, reincarnate as a deadly virus and kill a big chunk of humans. So, I mean, they're telling you right there, they're, they're always telling us they want to kill us and they wish us harm and. They're smarter than us, and we don't deserve anything, and they deserve everything. And they really think they're our gods, these Nephilim bloodlines. They do think they're, you know, they have this divine right of kings, of course, is what they have always called it. This, they do believe they were sent here, you know, by God to sort of herd us around. And this is where the ideas of monarchy come from, or oligarchy, or patriarchy, or matriarchy, or all these bad ideas. That's why I'm an anarchist, essentially, because I'm against archy. You know, I'm, I'm anti-archy. I don't want people arching over me. And I don't want them telling me what to do, right? Mm-hmm. But the, so all these ideas of how pyramids should be structured and they should control people and then some will control you. I mean, it's all just kind of sick. It's really sick. It's psychotic. And this is the system that we, you know, are forced to operate under. So it really gets deep and it, it really goes to the not just the names of the families and stuff but the ideologies that they've inculcated in us and one of those is definitely you know just this idea of i guess i would call it feudalism and i think we're going back to feudalism now except now you're gonna you're gonna have a computer you're gonna live the same sort of feudal lifestyle as people in europe did you'll be cleaner you'll have a shower in your place probably and you'll have a computer but you won't have any more power Increasingly, the middle class is going to be squeezed out of this equation. And that's another part of the British model. You always see you always see the middle class being just decimated. You know, they were the ones that founded slavery. They were the ones that genocided the native people. They were the ones that started and funded every war I can name. They were the ones that funded all the terrorism that did 9-11 through Securicom, which Marvin Bush was the CEO of, which is a crown agent corporation, look it up, had the security contracts on the World Trade Centers, mined the elevator shafts six weeks ahead of time by closing off some floors every day. Pretty easy. And then did Kennedy in, that was the crown, through British intelligence, through RCA Corporation, which is crown agent, which Serco and General Electric actually came out of. They came out of RCA. RCA created Sonar which in 1918 was probably responsible for the Spanish flu because that was the first time deal in World War I when they used it and all the troops came home and were sick. And it's probably a result of this new type of radiation, new type of radio waves, which, of course, 5G is a part of now. 
and got really quiet because they immediately banned people who talked about 5G in conjunction with Corona. And that probably is why my site got whacked in February, right before coronavirus, because I was not only talking about those two things in conjunction with one another, but also with the crown being behind it. And I know the guys at Aim for Truth, they got messed with too. Doug and Mike got messed with at that time too. And everybody just started getting dropped like flies now, you know, but the truth hurts and they know it. And part of the reason they're accelerating this program right now, well, they knew it was going to be a bad flu season because they've been encouraging flu viruses lately. Again, they mutate. So you have to have a new flu virus every year. And it's a gambling game. And they knew that was coming. They also knew that the economy was going to crash because last, was it September 2019, we started seeing these, the banks open the repo windows and the interest rates to Deutsche Bank and stuff were like 15%, which meant they were on the verge of collapse. So I think what they did is they saw both these things coming. They said, this is our opportunity to do this Rockefeller Foundation lockstep program that we're going to do that they drew up in 2010. And Deagle Report, by the way, was written by Edmund Deagle. He was a Air Force Undersecretary for Clinton. And this is the website that predicts this massive population decrease from 327 to 89 million by 2025. He also headed the Rockefeller Foundation. He was the CEO of the Rockefeller Foundation. So they said, let's kick it in. Let's kick in this kind of controlled demolition, this lockstep, lockdown. Got to lock them down first to get them in lockstep. So we're still in the lockdown phase. We're coming out of that and looking pretty lockstep in a lot of ways, but not everybody. So they did that, and they did a controlled demolition of the economy as well, which, which is why they shut businesses down, small businesses, because they want to increase the power of their cartels, obviously. I mean, Gates not only has you know money in vaccination companies, he's also got money in the cloud. And he's making way more money off of that now that people are working from home and buying things online. And, you know, so it was all just this jolt into this great reset, new economy, fourth industrial revolution, fourth Reich where our rights are going to be extremely limited, especially in the realm of travel. And this is where we sat. But, yeah. I agree. And I know you have a pretty strong faith. You reference it quite a bit in your writing. You talk about the Tower of Babel story and Jacob's Ladder. And this time in particular has me feeling like maybe – This is always how it goes, that this is some type of cycle that jealous fallen angels lead us astray. They break the creation system like this vaccine. They've altered genetics to a point that like you can't unalter it. It is going to be multi-generational. And maybe this is why the slate gets wiped clean every time. This is some sort of cycle. And, you know, hopefully we could wake up and... uh, the human spirit can overcome and we won't have to wipe the slate clean, but it seems like we always reemerge anyway. Is that kind of your impression that maybe this is part of a, an ongoing cycle that has repeated before? Yeah, I think so for sure. And it's just like with karma, like if you generate karma, which is always bad, you know, you just have to come back again and do it over, you know, and this kind of thing. And I think it's the same thing here. I think, if enough people were to wake up to the scam, to the killers, to the bloodline elite, and stood up to them, 
and actually took a stand and, and stood up to them and named their names in public and everything. I think that's when the cycle ends, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't think it's going to end until, and I don't know how, you know, I don't know what number of people that is. I think it's a kind of an energy thing. I think it's how many, how many good vibes can we crank out versus the bad vibes they're cranking out. And maybe it even is down to a physiologically an energy thing in the end. You know, we don't know. I mean, there's just a big generator at the end of the universe that runs like good vibes, you know, <laughs> one, that, one that runs like bad vibes. But for whatever reason, we keep having to go through this again, this enslavement, you know, and mm-hmm. it makes, you know, your life's hard. And we want to get to the point of Dharma, right, where we just, you know, we aced it. And I kind of think there is some to that. You know, it's always the people that come back. Like I think last time, my feeling is like the Aborigines in Australia and, you know, maybe the Plains Indians were like the remnants, you know, because they seem the smartest to me. But there'll just be a few every time. That's how it seems to happen. And they're they're the pure ones. You know, they're the ones that are the most pure human beings. So I don't know. Well, the way I'm seeing things now, and we're definitely going to have to come back again because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not looking good. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. You never know. But I also think on a personal level, of course, every person has their own destiny and every person has their own. You know, so it's not like just because everybody else has to come back. Maybe you don't. Maybe I don't. You know, maybe we get other choices or we can end our own suffering and Again, it's kind of an IQ test, this time from Creator. And it's like, you know, are you going to just putz it again, you know, and <laughs> this all over? Or are you going to actually try this time? And I think it's on an individual level, you know. So it's mm-hmm. it's both collective and individual. But, you know, that's as good a reason as any just to do the right thing, man. And I don't know. I just notice in my daily life, like if I do the right thing, I get good things happening. And if I do make a bad decision, bad things happen. It's just pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not like, you know, even heaven or hell or another life or, you know, it's just, it's good enough just to do it right this time because <laughs> your life just gets easier if you live right. And I've just Amen. seen that. Specific. I know it's true. I don't need anyone to tell me different or try to tell me that it's not because I've seen it over and over in my own life. And I'm sure you have too. And everyone has, if you're paying attention. Cheers to that. We really got to start trusting our own eyes and trusting our own intuition. And well, Dean, this has just been a real trip leading us to the promised land. Uh, I totally appreciate your insights. You definitely know your history and are still open to some pretty wild ideas, but that's the perfect recipe around here. So thanks for sharing. Before we go, remind people about the books you have out, anything else you got in the works and ways they can show their support for the work you do. Yeah, cool. Well, Thanks a lot for having me. I, I really uh, enjoyed it. Really, the only thing I've got on the internet is just my books are at Amazon. Just type in Dean Henderson Amazon and you'll see my six books there. And uh, try to write different stuff. One's a travel book. One's a, you know, like I said, the Matrix books. To get out, see it to the Matrix is about how to, you know, kind of get out of the system and not have a job and still be able to make it. And the rest of them are just kind of who runs the world and how they do it. So, uh yeah, that's how you can support me. Just, you know, get a hold of a book and then pass it on. Get your library to order books. Great idea. And that way, you know, you don't have to pay for it. And a lot of people get to read it and it circulates. I don't have much of other than that for internet presence anymore because I quit Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. It's all just 
a weapon system. I don't want it. Then they deleted my site, which I think was a favor. So I kind of, I got the better of them there even. They're just so pathetic. Yeah, but mainly, Greg, thanks for having me. And uh, really, I love your show. Um, keep it up. And best of luck, you know, in uh, sunny Southern California, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh- too kind, man. Well, yes, I'm very much on your page. I resonate with a lot of the things you talked about today. So thank you for being here. Keep doing what you do and uh, take care out there. All right, right on. You too. All right, all right, all right, all right. What is cooler than being cool? Dean Henderson, people. The 5G Nephilim crown caller outer. <laughs> Really happy with this one, and it wouldn't have been possible without Charlie Robinson. Sometimes we utilize the network when it comes to getting contact information, and I had been aware of Dean's book and had tried to track him down several months back, but I just couldn't find a website for him. Of course, he mentioned today that it was shut down, and he just opted to leave it down. So when Charlie had Dean on, I actually got a couple of emails saying, hey, you should check this guy out. It was a really good interview. I saw it was Dean, and it all came together. And having heard a few of his interviews, I know that Dean can have long, thorough answers. So I really wrestled with what that first question would be. How do you see the power pyramid structured? Definitely is jumping straight into the deep end of the pool. But I really enjoyed his breakdown. The Triple Crown Control Network has always sort of felt like it to me because they do have those three sovereign places carved out, the City of London, the Vatican, Washington, D.C. We know the history of the coordination between the church and the state, and if America never truly got its independence, if property taxes are some convoluted form of rent where the money ends up going to the crown, I wouldn't be surprised. I know there's this perception that some of this old power has waned, and maybe it has, But I also think there are a lot of examples where shit just doesn't change that much. How many examples in government can you think of where we just keep doing this stupid thing that doesn't make sense because it's an old law and it's been a law for a long time and this is just how we do it? A lot of things do just go unquestioned. And I like that Dean did fold in other power centers that people would consider the apex and just folded them in as part of this larger pyramid. The Royal Society, the Freemasons, Israel. Maybe they are in competition to a degree, or maybe there's just some contentiousness among the ranks. But the process of a guy like Bill Gates getting knighted, doesn't it seem weird? Like, if you had billions of dollars, and you were a household name, and you were never even British... Why would you get knighted by the Queen of England? Maybe it's just my personality type to kind of want to be left alone. But imagine Bill Gates' inbox compared to mine, or just the long list of people wanting him to come accept some award or announce some new initiative. It's got to be never-ending. If I was flipping through 50 proposals a day, I definitely would be like, knighted by the Queen? Nah, 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 I don't care. I don't have time for that. That's not even my country. And of course, we've done some really deep synchromistic dives over the years, and I could see some people saying coronavirus equaling crown virus. Well, that sounds a bit simple and on the nose. But hey, it is what it is. 
Corona does mean crown. Bill Gates was knighted not long ago. Prince Philip has the famous quote that in the event of a reincarnation, I would like to return as a deadly virus to contribute something to solving overpopulation. Maybe it is this simple, because they definitely are of that sort of mindset. But there's something about that overall structure of a handful of loyal, royal, elite bloodlines that play the role of villain and are well aware of the higher game and have this strong connection to the higher realms and the fallen angels. I really love that idea. I like thinking that these bloodlines are doing their duty or are almost forced into these roles by something higher up the food chain because they never seem happy and they never retire. That's my exhibit A and B. I'm 36 years old and I already wake up sometimes and my neck hurts and I just don't want to do anything and six episodes of 90 Day Fiance and a weed delivery later, that's my day. I struggle to understand why people in their 80s and 90s with every possible luxury still go to meetings and give speeches and why the queen doesn't just say, fuck all y'all, I am out. If you hate people so much, stop dealing with them. In my case, I'll probably do THC forever because it's a manageable amount of work and I get to choose my guests and it's really just talking to people. But these elite folks, they never seem to have a day off from playing this stupid role they play. They kind of seem shackled by it, really. To me, money equals freedom. I don't care about fame or power. I just want the complete optionality to move, go, do whatever I want. Does the queen even have a friend that would call up and say, hey, let's blow off work today and go throw axes and grab a couple pints? <laughs> Does Bill Gates have that friend? I, I just am not sure. It doesn't seem like it. But they do seem like permanent fixtures in reality that are unhappy and don't have any flexibility, although it appears they have everything. Maybe I just don't understand what it's like to have an archon latched onto my psyche like a trout caught in the talons of a hawk. But I was happy to get that breakdown from Dean. He does a really great job of weaving big epic stuff in with little details about the elite that clearly shows he knows his history. So support the man if you can. He doesn't ask for much, but maybe one of his books is of interest to you. In higher side news, I also wanted to mention that in about a week, I'm interviewing George Wiseman. He's been mentioned a couple times on THC. He works with Brown's Gas and a whole lot more. He asked if we could do an audience Q&A, and we're really not set up for that, but I told him I would make a forum thread if any people wanted to hop in with a question for George. I'm going to handle a lot of the introductory stuff, but if you're familiar with his work and maybe have an advanced or creative question, please add it to the forum thread that I just started under the THC threads heading. Maybe it will become more of a regular thing. I know what plus people really want is just great two-hour episodes, but if I can sweeten the deal once in a while, I will. I really need you guys, and I want you to feel appreciated. So I like to think this is a fun little perk to get involved in an actual THC episode. 
And today's second hour with Dean was really good. As we got a bit deeper into Dean's ideas for how to navigate these times, what he would do if he was a young man just trying to get his life started. And it was a lot of fun to hear about the creative jobs that he's had, how to just keep the system at arm's length, get out there and have some interesting experiences. Bada bing, bada boom. But the Plus Show is really just full of great stuff. Modern feudalism, economic lessons from Dean's life, sticking it to the Matrix, digital enslavement, the power of even a small resistance, killing the creditors, plasma physics, Saturn, and energy vampires. Yeah, we got to it. The question of if we really should destroy our ego, and what to expect at the end of the cycle. He's a wise guy, and I thank him for his time. If you're only here listening to the first free hour of THC, you miss so much. Have I not proved myself yet to be worthy of your $8? The first hour, we barely even get going sometimes. I think I asked two questions today. It's really just there as a proof of concept to show you that I put a lot of work into this. I like to be really well prepared. I like to make these shows action-packed and very dense with material. I'm not wasting time asking about the weather. So sign up, get more. The link is right at the top of the show notes. It's easy, and it's time. Blah, 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 right? <laughs> but that's the show. Hope you had a good time. I appreciate all of you guys, and I wish you well. I've done my part. Your move, Nephilim crown controllers, power pyramid players, and agents of the fallen angels. Your fucking move. Oh no, you see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings. Control over everything. The nine to five is trying to steal ya. Now don't that job seem silly? Hello, can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings from some spy agency? Wish we were younger and free. I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy There's such a difference Between us And the damn Oh no, they're cartoons 
time. 